From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Thursday, March 16th. Moab's waterways were a big topic of discussion at Tuesday's city council meeting. With the spring runoff season just around the corner, the city is working to prepare the creeks for an influx of water. As KZMU's Emily Arntzen reports, future plans to restore creek banks and infrastructure were outlined at the meeting. Moab is still recovering from a historic flood that caused millions of dollars in damages last summer. At Tuesday's meeting, the city announced a recent contract with local nonprofit Rim to Rim Restoration to work on stabilizing the creek banks before water levels rise this spring. The organization has already been working to prevent fires and floods around Mill Creek and Pack Creek for decades by removing invasive plants, but this contract is the first official partnership between the nonprofit and the city. This is Director Cara Dornwind. The creeks really are an example of a thing that requires community. Nobody can do it alone. Nobody should. A big part of why we're working on this is how a community can respond to a disaster is really important. And when we can't respond well, it's it's hard. And I think it reflects on the, the community as a whole. So I'm just excited about it moving forward. Heavy snowfall this winter could cause higher water flows in the creeks this spring. Dornwend hopes to stabilize the creek banks in a few key locations before snowmelt begins. Priority areas include the Moab Free Clinic, Rotary Park, Mulberry Grove, and a portion of the banks downstream of the bridge on 300 South. Dornwend will also be tasked with coordinating various stakeholders in the effort to manage waterways. Previously, there has been no official collaboration between the city, the county, and private landowners on issues regarding the creeks. I think the biggest thing is the creek touches a whole lot of departments, you know, public works, fire, water, roads, all of these things, but it isn't any single individual's responsibility. And another thing that's that's challenging in Utah is is almost all privately owned. You know, 100 landowners over a couple of miles. And so how do you manage that in a coherent way is really hard. The city's responsible for storm drainage, which is the creek, and the water is held in water rights, which is privately owned in one way. And then the land under the creek is privately owned by the landowners along the creek. So it's a mess. For the next four months, Dornwen plans to take inventory of all the areas that need attention. We're working along the parkway first, just, just cataloging. This tree might be on the verge of falling down. That probably should be addressed. Or, oh, here's a big debris pile. Maybe it should be moved. That sort of thing. Then our next step is to go beyond that and go from the Colorado River all the way up to the power dam. And then also to go up Pack Creek and do the same kind of inventory. For KZMU, I'm Emily Arnson. Author Shelley Reed is a fifth-generation Coloradan and lifelong resident of the Gunnison Valley, a region at the heart of her debut novel, Go as a River. The book tells the story of loss, love, and hope, and is set against the backdrop of a real western slope town that was submerged by the creation of a reservoir in the 1960s. Reed told Rocky Mountain Community Radio's Maeve Conran that the drowning of the town of Iola is a part of Colorado history that many people are not aware of. A lot of people know of Blue Mesa Reservoir. It's the largest reservoir in Colorado that is on the western slope in Gunnison County. But what a lot of people don't know is that in order to create that reservoir, um, 
people, generational ranchers and townsfolk in the towns of Iola, Sapinero, and Cibola had to be displaced um, from their land. And of course that displacement was deeply painful for the people who had to lose their ranches and lose their homes. Um, this happened throughout the early 1960s. The reservoir was flooded, was created in 1965 and 1966. And so yes, there are people who still live in the Gunnison Valley, move to Gunnison or Montrose or other places in the area when they had to leave um, the Iola area. And they carry a lot of the pain of that displacement when they tell those stories. I also dig into the displacement of the indigenous people who were the inhabitants of um, that area of the Gunnison Valley, because clearly, well before the displacement of the farmers and ranchers in the 1960s, we have the legacy of the painful displacement of the Ute people. And so the layers and layers of displacement um, that are present um, that many people are not aware of actually is the history of that portion of the Gunnison Valley. What's interesting is in the book, of course, it shows you that secrets never go away and whatever you personally tried to suppress or drown out or run away from will always follow you. And what's happened in real life is because of the drought, we're seeing remnants of Iola now emerging actually from the reservoir. What did that do to people when several years ago we started to see Iola because the reservoir itself was shrinking? Yeah, I think it was a really poignant moment for those of us who live in the Gunnison Valley. We're so used to swimming and fishing and boating and ice skating and enjoying Blue Mesa Reservoir. It feels like it's our reservoir. Um, however, what we learned is as a result of the Colorado River Compact and the very complicated politics about water in the American West is that Blue Mesa Reservoir actually um, is susceptible to a water call for downriver where we in the Gunnison Valley have to, are legally obligated to send our water downstream, um, primarily this time around for the benefit of Lake Powell. And so yes, when the old foundation and actually the old uh, concrete pad that held the flagpole for the Iola school emerged a few years ago and then again this year. Um, uh, for the first time since Blue Mesa Reservoir was created in 1965 and 66, it was actually very shocking, I think, for the residents of the valley. Helped us understand how complicated water politics are in the American West as well as how vulnerable um, all of us are to um, to those situations of drought. There are so many iconic locations in Western Colorado that feature in the book. Of course, the Gunnison Valley, Iola, Paonia, Durango. Many people think of Colorado almost as a monolith. It's the West. And yet all of these places have such unique features geographically, sociologically. You yourself are a fifth generation Coloradan. What do you hope people will take away about the Gunnison Valley, about Paonia, about this Western Colorado that you write so beautifully about in the book. What do you want readers to take from that? Oh, well, you know, Western Colorado is a beautiful and also a much more varied place, as you mentioned. The landscapes differ 
um, dramatically based on elevation. Um, there are many different cultural heritages that we have in the in the western slope of Colorado. Um, we have some very productive, very rich farmland, but also some of the highest peaks in Colorado. And so um, I think those of us uh, who are who consider Western Colorado our homeland definitely feel an affinity to one another. But also it should be known that there are many, many different lifestyles and many, many different kinds of people and many different landscapes on the western slope of Colorado. One of the things that I think is most primary to that area are the are, is the wilderness and the wild landscapes, a lot of pristine and remarkable natural areas that really have so much to teach us. I dig into that quite a bit with my, my character, Victoria Nash, and the setting of our book. The wild landscapes of Western Colorado um, can teach us humility and so many life lessons, and that is a theme that runs through my entire novel. And peaches, peach trees are such a wonderful metaphor as well and such an iconic part of that part of Colorado as well. Why peaches as such a central theme and actual object in your book? Yeah, a lot of people are unaware that we grow some of the most wonderful peaches in the world on the western slope of Colorado, in the North Fork River Valley, in the Peonia and Hotchkiss area, and then obviously in Palisades and the Grand Valley around Grand Junction. It's the warm days and the cool nights that create the sweetest peaches, and they just get sweeter as the, as the season goes on. But what I learned through my research is that it's actually incredibly difficult to grow a peach in Colorado mostly because they're very susceptible to frost and um, temperature variations. And so um, ancestral peach farmers, people who have been farming peaches and gathering the knowledge and the know-how um, generationally, handed down throughout the generations in any given peach farming family, really captured my imagination as I was writing this book. And the fragility of the peach, the, um, the fragility of the blossoms, the fact that peaches really do grow in Colorado against the odds, um, that they can be resilient in new soil. These are all themes that relate to my character, Victoria Nash, and her journey throughout the book. Author Shelley Reed speaking with Maeve Conran. That story was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KZMU. You can hear Shelley Reed speak about Go as a River at Back of Beyond Books on Tuesday at 7 p.m. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, March 16th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.